Hey friends, you're listening to the Hope and Heart Pills podcast where we're talking all things resilience and revolution. I'm one of your hosts, Andre Henry. And I'm your other host, Trishis. And today we have a very special guest. The Reverend Lauren Gruba Thomas is with us. Lauren is a nurturer of faithful dissidents, empowering communities to embrace the sacred art of nonviolent social change. She's also a priest, a community organizer, and she is building safety through belonging in her neighborhood and beyond. Oh, and she also is a writer and podcaster. We're, we're going to be talking to her about her show, A Soulful Revolution. Lauren, thanks for being with us today. I'm delighted to be here. Thank you both. Okay, so what everyone should know before we talk to Lauren about her work is that Lauren and I have been on, have been walking a path of learning about social change through nonviolent struggle for several years now. Um, so we've been conversation partners and more. We've organized together <laughs> in Los Angeles. We've tried to organize larger things nationally <laughs> and things like that. So um, it's a joy to have you on the show, Lauren. Um, why don't we start with uh, what you're doing with A Soulful Revolution? Tell us the story. Um, how did this idea come about? What compelled you to do it? And what are you trying to do there? Sure. I think first and foremost, the Soulful Revolution is a gift to my daughters. I have twin toddlers, Harper and Sophia, who are almost two years old. And I left a full-time job as a priest at a church about six months ago and did that really for them to be able to be more present to them and to be able to honor the longings of my own spirit and my body. I was exhausted. I was burning candle from both ends. And mm. I knew that I needed to attend to my writing practice, which is something that I've, I've always known myself to be a writer yeah. and had, that had gotten really sidelined, sidelined between parenthood and being in, in the church full time. And so I committed from that time that I left that I was going to set my Tuesdays aside as my writing day. Mm -hmm. And what, what it's emerged into being is this podcast and weekly Substack newsletter um, the podcast, I interview people who are soulful revolutionaries. So folks who are ordinary people doing extraordinary things to make the world a more just and beautiful place, whether that's with their families, in their neighborhoods, in their faith communities. And then the weekly newsletter is a space for me to really muse over this intersection of social change and spiritual transformation. So how do we do the work of social change that is often so grueling and taxing and re-traumatizing in yeah. ways that are deeply rooted in healing. Yeah, I know that healing is, um, this is a core value of, for yours in your, in your work, that you're centering, centering this in the conversations that you're having. So I'm wondering um, if you could talk a bit about um, embodied healing and the questions you're asking and the insights that you're finding around that in what you're doing. Mm. I just interviewed a friend of mine this last week named Jean-Pierre Seguin, who is an anarchist priest in New York City. And Jean-Pierre told me some amazing stories of their ministry with folks who are no longer associating with any kind of institution mm -hmm. <laughs> and they're anarchists. So naturally. Right. <laughs> and um, the conversation that, that we had was very much about humility, which is a space that I didn't really expect the conversation to go. Mm. Um, and I was reminded as we had this conversation about being cultivating humility, being rooted in humility to be able to walk with folks who are engaging in really difficult work around, in Jean-Pierre's case, around mutual aid, around um, 
keeping housing accessible and affordable for everyone. Um, this, this word humility came up again and again as a way of being connected to the earth. And mm-hmm. I was reminded that the word humility comes from the Latin humus, which literally means earth. And it's the same word that we get the word human from. And so I've been thinking about humility as this practice of walking the earth with care Mm -hmm. and that every moment, especially moments that are spent outside, (laughs) Mm -hmm. are moments to be able to reconnect and reground in a sense of relationship with the natural world. And that when I know for my, at least for myself, when I'm doing the work of reconnecting with the world around me. I'm better able to reconnect with the people around me. And I I find that's true whether I'm walking or I'm doing yoga or I'm paddleboarding on the reservoir near my house. Um, Mm -hmm. Those are all spaces of embodiment that help me to be in touch with my deepest values, to calm my mind, to get out of my head and to reroute in why this, this work of social change matters and and to find hope, frankly, when I feel really hopeless. Yeah. Lauren, I know Andre knows you very well, but I would love to hear more about your story and how you got to this place where your life is really um, centered at the intersection of social justice and faith. Because as a person who didn't grow up in that, I they almost seem like opposing forces, at least in, in America. Um, I don't usually um, think about, think about the church when I think about social justice. Um, and I'd love to hear how your story and how you, how you got to this place. Oh, I really appreciate that, Trish. I resonate with those misgivings and those, those qualms and those questions around how can these things coexist? Because it's also been my experience that so often, um, people who are shouting loudly about faith or not people who give a damn about changing the status quo and and about liberation and about revolution. And I think I have to go back to my childhood and again, to this relationship with the natural world. So when I was a kid, I spent so much time outside, especially I had this one tree in my backyard that was this amazing evergreen tree that had a canopy that spread out over the ground so that I could go under it. And it was almost like a, like a tent. Um, And I would spend probably hours. I mean, kid time is so relative, (laughs) but I would spend the longest time being outside, just loving the world. And that is the place of prayer that I find myself returning to as an adult is that sense of the interconnectedness of everything. Um, Remembering that separation is an illusion, (laughs) Mm -hmm. that we're all interconnected with one another. And so all the institutional bumps that I've hit along the way are things that I've had to like circumvent or find my way over in order Mm -hmm. to return to that sense of connectedness and belovedness. Um, You know, I, I sometimes use the word God, but I think it is this sense of um, the interconnectedness and the, and the love that flows through all of life. Mm. So I, I came up through evangelicalism and left that tradition as a young adult in part because it felt very disembodied and very Mm. disconnected from my experience of everything being in relationship and Mm. 
that if everything's in relationship, then we should do everything in our power to be able to to heal <laughs> what yeah. is what is hurting those who are hurting and, and these these to to deconstruct and to dismantle these systems that are hurting people. So that that was really clear to me from the time I was a teenager that the system mm. that I was in as a child did not support those values that I felt just in my being. And I ended up in the Episcopal Church as a young adult, in large part because that was a space where I, as a woman, wouldn't have to agitate simply to have a voice and yeah. to be valued as a leader. And I remember my first Sunday at an Episcopal Church, I was I was actually just texting um, the preacher that I heard that day, who's been a mentor of mine now for a decade. Um, I The first Sunday that I went to Episcopal Church was a day when this church, All Saints Pasadena, was celebrating the birthday of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Hmm. And so the church was filled with the sound of spirituals and the sermon was about Dr. King, the healer. Hmm. And there was a beautiful, fiercely vulnerable, passionate woman named Zelda Kennedy, um, Mm. black woman at the altar, um, my beloved mentor of blessed memory. And I entered into that space in awe because it was a healing space. It was a space of lifting justice and peace and talking really strategically about how do we engage? It was actually an Obama's second inauguration day. And that was addressed in the sermon. Oh, like, how wow. do we partner with yeah. Obama in doing the work of social change? And I was like, these are my people. And so that was a decade ago this year. And wow. since then, again, I've encountered speed bumps because there's always going to be systems and, uh, you know, institutions that don't serve life, that don't serve connectivity right. and healing. Um but that is another touch point that I find myself returning to a lot when I think about the possibility of spiritual and social change oriented community. Mm. Yeah, you know, Lauren, something that I'm appreciating about the, the waters that you're wading into lately is you're connecting parts of everyday life to these conversations of social change, right? Mm. And I think that when people think about social transformation, I encounter a few different, you know, assumptions, right? I encounter people who assume that the political sphere and the private sphere are partitioned by some kind of wall. Mm-hmm. The politics don't really affect our lives that much. And if they do, there's nothing we can do about it, right? So I encounter folks like that. And then I encounter um, or have encountered folks who are very active on social justice issues, but those kinds of groups can easily become insular and get further and further away from how non-radicalized people talk and think and live in the world, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, But you're talking about, um, when you talk about social change, you talk about parenting, you talk about your neighborhood, all those kinds of things. Could you say more about that intersection and what's there for you, how you found yourself um, focusing in on what might feel too small to make a big difference? Mm. Oh, that's a really beautiful question. I think the path of humility is a really challenging one to walk for me because I do have a lot of ego in this. (laughs) And so 
I I have found by when I when I left the the church where I was working full time, I had a lot of ego tied up in the work that I was doing there. Mm. Um, you know, being able to preach to 200 people every Sunday and have those people provide immediate feedback. Um, it does a lot for the ego, which mm. is not a great thing long term for the mm. spirit, for again, the kind of healing that I think needs to undergird effective and sustainable change. Yeah. Um, mm certainly on a personal level and let alone on a, on a societal level or a communal level. So when I stepped away, um, it was partly because I was mindful of that mm. impulse in myself toward, mm. to put it really boldly, the God complex mm. of mm. like, I'm going to save people. I'm going to make things better. Mm. And I stepped back into my neighborhood. I stepped back into my family yeah. And I, so my, my context is in South Denver. I live in a suburb of Denver in a new development where there are lots of young families. And that's all the more true because this is the second, the Denver is the city with the second highest rate of gentrification in the country. Wow. So a lot of people are finding themselves unable to afford housing in the city. And if they want to be able to buy a, a single family home or a condo, they need to move pretty far out beyond the city. So the development where we live has about 5,000 people. It'll have 30,000 people in the next 15 years. And people are moving here from all over the place. Denver is a very attractive place that people want to live. Mm -hmm. um, we live next to a couple of beautiful state parks, which... I try to frequent as much as I can. A hard thing with toddlers, but I'm working on it. <laughs> um, but I, when I moved out here a year and a half ago, I knew that I needed community. I knew I needed yeah. friends. Um, the pandemic had made that really hard. I was a newcomer to Colorado in 2019. So between the pandemic and working in a church context where most of my parishioners were, were quite a bit older than me, I didn't have very many friends in Colorado. So when my daughters were four months old, my husband, Curran, and I did a walk around our block and we invited everybody on our block to a block party. And of the 18 houses on our block, uh, 16 of them came out that, sum that summer. Wow. And stayed for five hours. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and it was this amazing experience of just, bring, you, know, you bring food, you bring people together and people were so hungry for community, for connection. Mm -hmm. And that was a, a jumping off point for community building as well as organizing in our neighborhood. Yeah. So that group that gathered last summer, a lot of those parents are people that I invited to participate in a group that we call Spirituality of Parenting, mm -hmm. which is a group of progressive minded parents who want to raise kids for liberation. Wow. And so we talk about racial justice. We talk about LGBTQ justice. We talk about gender justice, climate justice, all, all the justices. <laughs> <laughs> and it's been this amazing experience of, again, recognizing that people are so hungry for community, yeah. hungry for spirituality mm -hmm. and hungry for feeling like not just feeling like but discovering they can make a difference in the world. What mm. does that conversation look like? at the intersection of climate justice or uh, LGBTQ justice, you know, with a bunch of, a bunch of moms, you know, like. And one dad. It, and one dad. <laughs> and one dad. So it's like, because this, because I mean, all right. So everyone listening, you, I, I want to point out again, Lauren is also a student of Sergei Popovich, um, a man who 
started a revolution to liberate his country from a brutal dictatorship. So like we have taught, so Lauren, you are, I know that you, you're familiar like with some of the stuff we've encountered where people often don't get mobilized by abstract ideas, right? Like yeah. no one is fighting for social justice because they, they're just a fan of anti-capitalism or, you know what I mean? Like that's a term that we have for something that's more tangible for people, right? Like people are fighting for immigration rights to outsiders, but the person fighting doesn't want their family to get deported, right? Mm -hmm. Or the, 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 the black people fighting for, uh, you know, uh, the end of police brutality want to make sure that they don't get shot in a traffic stop, right? So I'm wondering if you could like bring us into this group, right? What does a conversation sound like when mm. you're connecting these dots? Yeah. There's been an opportunity to really listen deeply to our own parent our own experience of being parented. So mm -hmm. it's it's turned into a conversation about reparenting ourselves as much as reparenting as much as parenting our children. Mm -hmm. Um there was one week where we talked about the body and how and bodily autonomy and how do we honor our children's bodies and it became a conversation about the experiences folks had had of corporal punishment mm. and what at one point a parent in the group said i never realized that what i experienced as a child was authoritarian parenting mm. and now that i know differently i can do differently now that i know that there are alternative ways to parent i can do differently yeah so it often is storytelling. It's folks being able to share, including myself. It's an incredibly mutually nourishing space. Um, being able to share experiences on, on these themes that I've mentioned. And I usually will guide a spiritual practice that is connected to that in some way. I often use Cole Arthur Riley's breath prayers uh, from Black Liturgies. Yeah. And so we often will open our clothes with one of those. It's, it's a very open space, spiritually speaking. So. Um, not everybody in the group identifies with a religious tradition, mm -hmm. um, but everybody is like spiritually open to at least engaging in some of these practices and having those be ways of, of rooting ourselves. So it moves usually from a spiritual practice to talking about a theme and telling stories on a theme for our own experiences of being parented. And then being able to talk about, well, now what do we want to do differently for our children? How do we want to parent our children and then after a couple of months of this, it started to move more broadly toward, well, then what's the impact on our community? What is that? And, and the way that that started was that there were two little girls who were hit by a car a block from my house. Oh, my God. And they are physically recovering, thank God. And the, the, the waves of trauma for the community were significant of course, for the parents and also for all of us who have little kids in this development where we're all kind of guinea pigs in this, uh, or, or the traffic engineers, guinea pigs in this new development, <laughs> mm -hmm. um, which is not intentional. That's just kind of, I think the way that, that it tends to go is until there's an issue, they don't realize it and they don't fix it. And so this accident happened and it became a catalyst for conversation about Yes, the really acute problem of people speeding through the neighborhood and blowing through um, crosswalks. And also the broader conversation of 
what we've since come to describe as safety through belonging. What does it look like for our children to all have safe places to play? Because we don't have places in our community for older kids and youth to safely play. So they're playing in the street. Mm-hmm. And so it was a community, really, it was a community organizing conversation, right? Mm-hmm. Like, here's mm-hmm. this acute problem that happened. Right. It's connected to the broader problem of, and this happened by me talking to my parents' group and also on our community-wide Facebook page. Like, let's have a conversation about what the real problem is here. So the bigger problem was kids don't have a place to play. And the bigger mm-hmm. problem than that, it comes to come to find out, well, nobody is asking our kids what they want. <laughs> And as we've started to engage in conversation with the youth in our community, they have amazing ideas Yes, about the kinds of amenities and programs, but more importantly, the kinds of relationships that they want to have in the community. The kids in our community right now who are in middle and high school are having to go 20 minutes outside of our community by bus to the nearest middle and high school. And so they come home, especially high school kids, and they, they're not able to hang out with their friends. So that then led to a bigger conversation with um, a, a, a mentor I was connected with by our friend Preston, Andre. Um, mm. I was connected to a woman who is the executive director of CASA, which is Court Appointed Special Advocates. Mm. And they support foster youth and children. And so I had a great conversation with her about the fact that abuse happens in every community. Right. There is no community that is exempt from abuse. Mm-hmm. And when there are kids who are coming home and don't have a really robust network of support, don't have other adults in the neighborhood or, or even other teenagers in the neighborhood whom they know who love them and care about them and see what's going on in their lives, the opportunity for abuse grows. Mm-hmm. Um, and the opportunity, like here in Colorado, we have one of the highest rates of, of youth suicide in the country. And wow. so the mental health crisis is a huge challenge in, in this context. Um, and so that's that's become this broader conversation that we're that we're now in and that I'm helping to facilitate with all these different stakeholders, parents, youth, um, county advocates for youth issues for county or agencies that are providing social um, social supports, as well as as nonprofits, as well as like leaders of our of our development of the, the municipal leadership about listening to the young people in our community and providing um, providing the kind of support that helps them be the contributing members of our community that they aspire to be, to really empower them to do that. Wow. I, I love how you're, how you were able to take all of these steps from something like, you know, an awful thing, but a seemingly like small isolated thing, and then sort of extrapolating it for everyone to understand these, these bigger issues. And I'm wondering for our listeners, how can we go about trying to a create that sense of community, but also for the people that don't have a Lauren or to help them like <laughs> understand and make these connections? Like how how are we able to to get these sort of um, communities happening um, all around? Mm. I think that's such an important question, Trish, because I think so many people right now are really isolated, which is the effect of living in this late stage capitalism that we all live and dwell and suffer under. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And individualism is not 
an option. It's, it's compulsory. Like we're all made to operate in these very individualistic mm. ways. Um, and so I've been thinking about that a lot. Like what are the conditions for community? And so in my context, I asked my neighbors, what's supportive for you? I had them over for that first parents meeting gathering. And I said, tell me what works about this for you. What would you want more of? And what are the logistics that would make this possible for you as a parent of young children? Mm-hmm. And these nine folks said, well, this time of night, eight o'clock at night after my kids go to bed, <laughs> um, here, here in the neighborhood, like every, most everybody walks um, and it's after kids go to sleep. So spouses, partners can take care of, of, of children. They said that works for us and biweekly works for us. Okay, mm-hmm. great. Let's do that. Um, and so that's, I think oftentimes just asking people like, what, what do you need? Mm-hmm. And sometimes people don't know how to answer that question because they've never experienced wow. that kind of right. community, that, that net network of support. Mm-hmm. And so I, I got some really helpful questions from somebody who goes by the roving listener. <laughs> um, he's a community connector named Damon Hargis, who mm-hmm. lives in Indianapolis. And he teaches social entrepreneurship. And he asks questions as the roving listener in his neighborhood, a historically black neighborhood in Indianapolis. He goes around and asks people, what brings you joy? What is something that you want to learn? Mm -hmm. And what is something that you know well enough that you could teach someone else? And then he creates spaces for people to learn and to teach and to share. Wow. So some of those questions have also been really helpful, um, you know, inviting people to share their, their joy, what they, what they want to learn, what they can teach, because they're empowering questions. They're, they're questions yeah. recognizing the power that people innately have to shape change in their community. Wow. I love that. I, I, that's such a great approach. And I think it, it goes back to what um, you were talking about earlier about humility and just approaching things uh, with curiosity and humility and, and really um, and and really seeking out um, what other people need and 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 having them um, having the community really direct the uh, the conversation. I think that's really great. And I know for me, um, it seems like just generally adult friendships are like less and less valued um Mm -hmm. and I think there's just a lot of anxiety around adult friendships um and it's such a beautiful way to to come at it and I know if someone came to me like that I would just feel so um like cared for um and seen I wanted to ask you about how you personally go about um, intentional healing, because that was another word that you um, that you were really using a lot. And I think a thing that's been a, a big theme throughout this season is like, how do we go about our healing? Mm. I am so grateful for that question. And I like the way that you said that 
having someone ask the kinds of questions that I am asking people, I'm grateful that you asked me that question. (laughs) I think that's an incredibly gracious and kind question. And that, that act of, of asking questions and listening deeply is one of the ways I'm seeking to practice healing right now. Mm. Um, not assuming that I know what is needed by my neighbors or by my friends or family, but asking, asking the question, even of people that I know really well, um, and allowing their wisdom and their insight to wash over me. Um, the, the folks that I've interviewed for my podcast, A Soulful Revolution, that has been an experience of deep healing for me, mm. of, of hearing about the amazing work they're doing and their communities um, that really inspires me. So I think inspiration is really a big part of, of my healing. Um, and reading, a lot of the folks that, that Andre has talked about this on, on this show are people that I uh, read and, and appreciate as well. Um, and I try to make that a regular practice, which is a challenging thing with toddlers, mm-hmm. <laughs> but at least soaking in like a little bit of something inspiring, um, just helps me like reset. Um, and I, I have found that slow, intentional movement often serves me better than, um, like intense cardio in this season mm-hmm. that I'm in, um, I love good cardio. I love the dance. I have done salsa dance for years and I, mm-hmm. I miss that. That's not as much a part of my practice right now. And I hope it'll come full circle and be a, a part of my practice again. Yeah. Um, but right now it's like slow, intentional movement that really helps me focus on my breath. So it's mm-hmm. yoga, it's paddleboarding. This summer, the reservoir near our house was at twice its normal capacity because we had unprecedented rainfall for Colorado, which is because of climate change. Um, yeah. And so lots of problems with that. The lake was was a strange gift of that this summer. And I've been out there to paddle through these groves of aspen trees that were flooded over (laughs) that are covered in water like they're halfway halfway covered in water and it's just magical and you can't paddleboard fast (laughs) I mean you could try you'd look really dumb (laughs) and so it's been a good thing for me because I am someone who really ruminates and can I can just stay in my head all the time but again like I said at the beginning I also have this gift of my child self of being able to be in beautiful places and just be fully present. So I think Mm. that's what I'm trying to return to is that gift um, of presence. And my girls are teaching me that too, because everything for them is wondrous. Yeah. And when they're not throwing tantrums, which is our new exciting thing, (laughs) (laughs) they spend so much time delighting. Yeah. And there, there's a book uh, to this effect by Rabbi Danya Rutenberg. It's called Nurture the Wow. And the subtitle is something like finding the divine in the poopy diapers and the tantrums and, mm. you know, all these hard things of childhood. Yeah. Um, and I love that because I think they are teach that that is that is my newest spiritual practice in the last year and a half is learning from my children to embrace the present moment and show up with the fullness of who I am 
Thich Nhat Hanh, the Buddhist master, he talked about if you're if you're washing the dishes just to be able to get to the cup of tea, you've missed the opportunity to be present washing the dishes. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. And so, yeah, just all, all these little opportunities. And I can be hard on myself um, and, you know, really be wanting to get to the next thing or be trying to multitask. And that's part of being a parent. That's part of being a mother for me. Um, and when I'm able to be present, that is healing. Mm-hmm. Lauren, there are so many more things I want to ask you, but we are running out of time. <laughs> so it's been um, so fun. Yeah. <laughs> I've, I've talked a lot. I'm just grateful to have had the chance. That's why you're here. Exactly. <laughs> this is what we tell all of our guests. You are here to talk, you know. Um, so I well, let's close with this. Um, Lauren, what keeps you going? Mm, what a lovely question. I'm going to say it and I'm not going to walk it back. It's love. It's love. Nice. It's love for my family. It's love for my neighbors. It's love for this beautiful earth that we get to inhabit with fellow creatures. And slowly but surely it's love for myself. And that's, that's the growing edge. Wonderful. Mm -hmm. Uh, Well, Lauren, it's been great to have you on the show. Yeah, this Thanks made me feel so us. nice. <laughs> I know. Doesn't your nervous system feel calm? I feel really calm and like content right now. Feels Aww. like you had a, a glass of tea, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. <laughs> and you were fully present with the dishes. It was so present. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, thank you both. Well, it's thanks for thanks everyone for listening to the Hope and Heart Pills podcast again. Um, make sure that you check out a soulful revolution. What's the what's the well? That'll be in the short show notes. I don't need to ask you what the, what the link is. <laughs> Y'all are driving in your cars anyway. You can't write it down. <laughs> so. Um, Lauren, we'll have to have you back to talk some more. And you all listening, you will hear from us next week. Bye. Thanks for choosing to listen today. You can catch up with our hosts online. Trish's is at Trish's Music. That's spelled T-R-I-S-H-E-S Music on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter. Andre is at the Andre Henry on Instagram and TikTok and at Andre Henry on Twitter. Catch the songs you heard today and more of their music on Spotify. If you'd like to support what we're doing here and see the video of Andre and Trisha's conversation, you can join the Patreon at www.patreon.com slash Andre Henry. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>